welcome to another episode of the Covenant Podcast. It's Frank Michael Haney. I'm Linus O'Connor Jr. Welcome. It's been another wonderful week. I don't know about you, Pastor, but it is hot outside. I tell you what, hopefully it'll start cooling off. I don't think it's going to happen soon enough. I'm looking, maybe I need to go find cool climate pastures and enjoy a little bit of a relief but sun is good it has its benefits sometimes it keeps you indoors uh i don't know about you last week i really enjoyed um, our conversation we talked about building towers and going off to war and discipleship and just the cost of of something worth doing and measuring the cost and figuring out what it would take and committing to getting it done and seeing it all the way through and how much of a legacy or an impact you can have by choosing to, to take on that kind of discipline, that kind of responsibility. Definitely had a special impact on my life as I continue to think about it even leading up till today. It's, it's a lot going on. And a lot of people don't realize how important they are to leaving a legacy. It's it's uh, everybody's important. Yeah. I, th- I think the other thing too that's noteworthy is that you sort of don't leave a legacy by mistake. It's not an accidental thing. It's it's something that happens. Maybe sometimes you don't even really while you're doing it even realize how big <coughs> an impact or legacy it is you're living behind. I think rightly you're, you're, you're focused on doing or being. Um, and it's so impressive how sometimes it's the faintest things or the things we don't think are so important are the things that have the most profound impacts on people's lives. Um, a good friend of mine, uh, you know, sent me a, a really warming message earlier today in response to just me showing up and helping him out. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, he's, he's a chef and he was working on a, uh, a dinner experience that he does as a sort of a, a, a side business. And um, I'd showed up for a couple of days, just helped him. I mean, I, had, I thought I had more fun out of it or <laughs> took more out of it than he did. But to realize how much that meant to him. And again, this was, I didn't do anything, you know, crazy or extraordinary in the grand scheme of things. It just, I showed up, I offered some advice, I made myself available and I helped out. And, and when we talk about making impacts or leaving behind a legacy, I think too many times people think of a street being named after you or a building being named after you or an endowment or something of the sort. And, and no, that's not what it is. The real legacy, the real impact that you make on people's lives are sometimes lived out through those ordinary moments when you chose to lead with love uh, instead of fear or instead of power, when you chose to put yourself at the same level as others or elevate others above yourself yeah. and just serve them. And service is another word that we don't use uh, often enough or don't talk about um, as, as much as we ought to because... A lot of the people, especially who aspire for leadership, forget that leadership, first and foremost, is rooted in service. And to serve 
means that you elevate others and their needs and their expectations above your own. I've always said that you'll never make a good leader until you know how to follow. But people that strive to leave a legacy sometimes overdo it. And people that don't intend to sometimes leave the greatest legacy. Just being who you are. And uh, uh, just, uh, you know, a lot of times you don't have to have your name on a building or a bridge to be remembered people uh, you know you know one of the things that Jesus taught he talked about service servant servanthood or service um, Jesus taught that we were to be servants taught us to serve others and uh, to serve each other but, uh, you know, Jesus spoke in parables a lot. His disciples didn't get it. Uh, he had to explain everything to them. But uh, a lot of us don't understand, or a lot of people don't understand how much uh, power goes into service that comes with love. Mm. And... Uh, how far that'll get you? Uh, I've I've seen people that that uh, literally uh, could have run everything and kind of did from a place that was a place a lower place than uh, than CEO or something like that. But they 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 served the people that around them and in that way they they had an impact that was that was very lasting um, uh, I like our district superintendent for the Assemblies of God in North Texas a uh, very humble man and he goes out of his way to greet everyone and then many times people are surprised <laughs> When it's time for everything to start, and he winds up being the guy <laughs> that's running everything. So you don't have to, you don't have to be important to leave a legacy. You have to be you. You have to just be who you are and love people. You'll be surprised at how long you'll be remembered long, long past when the building's torn down in somebody else's name. What, what are your thoughts on, on, on leadership from the standpoint? Uh, and I, I ask this question because I've found myself, as we are in the midst of a political campaign season, I find myself being very, maybe it's too strong a word, suspicious, or maybe reluctant, I should say, perhaps, of people who I feel want to become leaders. In other words, when I have felt authentic, well-meaning leadership, oftentimes it's been with people that I felt were reluctant leaders. They yeah. didn't want mm -hmm. to lead, but they rose to the occasion. They weren't seeking out the position. <coughs> and I know that our political system endears people to declare candidacy and run. That, that is how you, you know, for, you know, 
assume public office by and large uh, in, in, in the US and in most Western democracies. But uh, maybe it's just fatigue or maybe it's just disillusionment with the failures of the past. But I've found myself being suspicious of people who want to become leaders, much in the same way I feel suspicious of people who want to change the world. I kind of figure you make a legacy or you don't. You don't set it out for this grand thing you want to accomplish. You just go about being. And if you be yourself on purpose, like you said, all you need is to be you. So and any thoughts of, of how that strikes you? I, I think I've always had a different view of leadership and uh, I've been in leadership positions since I was young but not necessarily because I wanted to be so I adapted my leadership style to uh, how would you say it uh, finding people that were very good at what they did and encouraging them to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I, uh, uh, and, and helping provide what they needed to get to do what they do. And so my, uh, my preferred style of leadership is that, uh, I stay out of the spotlight. Uh, and, I've found uh, a lot of people seem over the years have been surprised when, uh, you know, because I am the leader, my name's on the, the door at the big office, then when they start passing out accolades, uh, usually that's where the it goes. But I was always very careful to let people who did the job be the, be the ones that were acknowledged. And uh, sometimes to, uh, actually, I, 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 I still don't understand why sometimes management didn't want to do that. Yeah. But uh, so I think that people, uh, especially, I'm, I'm with you on people that want to change the world. First, I'm, I'm, uh, I like them to tell me what's wrong with the one, you know, where we're at, you know, give me a hint. And, and yeah. the same thing with leadership. Uh, I've seen people very hungry for leadership in a, and, and I don't think a good way. They want to run things just because it gives them a position of power. Uh, I took a, uh, a stance many years ago that if I have to step on someone else or put someone else down to get up, it's not worth it to me. So, uh, and there were several uh, positions along the way that I had people come to me and said, well, you should have. And the fact is, uh, I couldn't have. That's because it's not me. I wouldn't, if I would have had to do to put somebody else down to have that position, that's not for me. You know, I wouldn't have done well. And I wouldn't have done well in the environment. So uh, I've always taken a position of, of uh, 
I guess really what my intention has been is to build people up, encourage people. Uh, and that has been mistaken for leadership a couple of times. You know, you, know, you understand what I mean? But, but maybe that really is then the definition of, of leadership because at least for me, I find more often than not, leadership does not reside on any one box in a hierarchy or an organizational chart or structure. Oftentimes, leadership is found in between those by people. Like you said, they're not investing in, in projects. They're not investing in uh, activities or initiatives. They're making investments in people. And their desire is to build people up. And in choosing to build people, therein is where legacy and impact is actually made uh, is because people no longer are consumed with things that are superficial. And, and I think that's part of it is one of the greatest challenges. Um, and, um, you know, one of my favorite authors, Richard Foster, uh, in, a, in a really significant book, Celebration of Discipline, says that superficiality is the curse of our age, that the desperate need for today is not a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but of deep people. And deep people meaning people of substance, people who had you know, something about them that was worth living for and worth sharing with others. And I think far too many times people are looking for the title, people are looking for power. And, and, and speaking of power, um, you know, Maybe we, we, we have a conversation about this another time, but I am very, very concerned about the frequency with which power is discussed and how much power has become the basis of most people's outlook in life. Yes. Um, you know, when, when I think about life, and I think when most people talk about life, you know, we talk about love and laughter and memories and enjoyment or purpose, being of value and, and, and taking on responsibilities and not about accumulating power. But when I hear people in discourse today, how much power is either the first, second, sometimes, and third thing that they talk about is just mind-boggling to me and it doesn't really just sit well with me. I understand why some people would feel without power, uh, underrepresented by those in power. But to play the power game is a very dangerous thing because in my estimation, there will always be someone who wants power more than you, someone who's willing to play the power game better than you, yes, stoop yes. to lower depths and be more diabolical about it. And when you choose to play the power game, it's... <coughs> It becomes a zero-sum game of I win, you lose. And I have it, you don't. That's where a lot of people look at it. Um, you know, really, you know, some of the things we've talked about over the last couple of months, um, I started out in, in life, um, I just wanted to have fun and enjoy life. All right? I, I didn't care who ran the city government. I didn't care who ran whatever. But, you know, some of the things we've been talking about mean that those of us that have just wanted to stay out of uh, 
out of the way have to take a part. And, and really, leadership is taken apart. So, you know, uh, it, like in a Christian setting, if we're going to battle the enemy, I'm going to look around. I don't want the guy with the shiny armor. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I want to chase with a few. I want to some guy with some dents in his armor. I want you know it may be clean and ready to roll, but you know he's not shiny. And that's I do the same thing with airplanes. So I go and I look at the airplane that's going to be on. I go and I ask the people. I said, "This isn't the first flight this plane's been on, right?" <laughs> no, no, no. We okay. So that's the same kind of thing, you know. I don't want to. Uh, because if you're going to get in this and you're going to, and you'll find yourself, uh, I've seen it happen in, in, in emergency situations. Uh, the guy with a job that doesn't have any leadership at all winds up being the, the center of directing what needs to be done at that emergency site in an in, in emergency situation because they took action, they knew what to do, and I mean just everybody just kind of gravitates toward that leadership. And uh, and uh, I've been in those situations myself when that happened, when something happened, and then I wind up being the person, everybody says, what do we do next? Not because that was my title. It just happened to be that I was the closest one to the door and said, let's open the door. You know, you know what I mean? So, just something like that. So a lot of times... And, and I think we need to kind of step back with leadership and and look at it not as a title, but what you do. Yeah. So you may be a great leader, but never have a leadership title. Right. You do it all the time. You do it unconsciously. You're the guy that uh, gets everybody cheering for your football team. You're the guy, or the you're the you're the lady that stands up and and and. In the parent-teachers meeting, and says, "Why don't we think about you know?" And then all of a sudden, it becomes more than it ever you ever thought about it being. But you don't have a title that says you're some kind of leader. And a lot of people need to realize that you don't have to t- have a title to be a great leader. And uh, 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 I. I used to talk to my grandfather, and uh, he, he, he was kind of like my dad, you know. His conversation was basically, you know, how are you doing? I'm doing okay, you know. And if you kept trying to talk to me, he'd say, don't you want to talk to your mother? <laughs> so, but I'd talk to my granddad, and in a few words, you could find out pretty deep stuff about life, you know. And, and, and I think it's important to realize that you don't have to have a title, uh, a position to be a great leader. You just have to continue to do what you need to do. Um, uh, sometimes, uh, and it, it, it sometimes seems like uh, uh, it's uh, kind of waiting for you, like... Uh, it's it's waiting for you to step into that place yeah, yeah. where where mm-hmm. uh, you know it, it's it's all around everybody knows and then all of a sudden somebody's got to make a decision and it's just laying there waiting for you and you do that and then you 
go on from there. So uh, a lot of times when people find out, and I think this, I, I had a very smart man, and he, he, he had a huge, he was, he was the owner and director of a very huge construction company. And he told me one morning that if you treat your people well, they'll they'll work for you. He said, if you don't treat them well, they'll work for the money. And I always took that to heart because he said it's always better to have them working for you than it is to have them working for the money. Because when the chips get down, you may need some help sometime. And if they're just working for the money, you're out of luck. So he also told me a couple other things, but I thought that was... You know, that's, that stood me in good stead. So don't worry about the money. Worry about the people. And a lot of times we have to do that. Uh, and another, thing's leaders, another thing leaders need to do is take responsibility. And that's, no matter how it turns out, good, bad, somewhere in between, the buck stops here. And when you're able to do that for the people that, that you're leading, they'll respect that. Uh, I, I had a uh, guy, actually, that I worked for. A gentleman stopped on the street and came up on the job site and started just cursing at all of us. And he came around the building, and he got right up in that man's face, and he said, listen to me. He said, you don't say nothing to my people. He said, I run this job. So this is my job. He said, if you got anything to say, you say it to me. And you say it to me by myself, not in front of in front of them. If you've got a problem. He said, if there's anything needs to be said to my crew, I'll be the one that says it. So basically he told him to get in his car and leave and and he kind of used a tone that indicated it'd be best if he did. But uh and and I appreciated that because you know, we were all standing there listening to we're being uh, yelled at and cursed at by, number one, we didn't have any idea what this guy was talking about. And uh, it just was totally out of place anyway. So I appreciated my boss for doing that. So. It's, a, it's a very understated role and characteristic of leadership that people don't talk about, which is being a, a defender. Oh yes, uh, to, yes. To his people uh, or her people, and 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 I think that that's very important, and and I think alongside being a defender, um, is also being a leader is also about sacrifice. I mean, last week when we talked about things that are worth doing, towers worth building, battles worth fighting, and discipleship uh, worth following, it, it it talked about estimating the cost and committing then to getting it done. And a number of ways leadership is, is like that, that when, whether or not you sort it out, but the moment where you realize you're in a position of leadership, you need to be willing to see it through. And, and part of seeing it through oftentimes requires sacrifice. Um, there's, a, there's a famous saying that leaders eat last. So making sure your people eat before you eat making sure your people are taken care of, compensated, 
before you're compensated. I mean, I think one of the most disheartening things about corporate America was the speed with which a lot of corporate leaders and C-suites were willing to pay themselves bonuses yes. at the expense of their <coughs> rank-and-file employees, um, especially in light of situations where people were getting laid off. I've been part of some really amazing organizations, one by which I am employed, two others on which I serve on the board. And one of the things that just blessed my heart so much in this COVID situation was how much the leaders voluntarily decided to sacrifice. Where partners said, we will forego our distribution. We do it. It's contractually written that we should get paid first. I mean, it's our equity. It's our sweat capital. It's our money that's on the line that's funding all this stuff. And by the rules, we get paid first. Yes. And they chose to forego that so that they can fund continuing operations or try to keep as many people employed. Or executives uh, on, the uh, on the two organizations on whose boards I serve, where leaders voluntarily offered, hey, we'll take a pay cut so that we can make sure that we can keep as many people or not lay off or furlough as many people. And to see that kind of an example, that really just makes you understand what real leadership yes. really ought to be that they didn't think of themselves first. They had every right to, especially in a situation like this, go get yours, right? But the fact that they were willing to not just put others equal to them, but literally put others above them, right? And, and, and give up on what otherwise was due to them. And again, this is where that, th 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 that end of the spectrum, where on one end there is power, and I believe on the other end there is love. And far too many leaders lean on power and not sufficiently, <coughs> if at all, on love. When you lean on power, you're enforcing the rules, you're enforcing the contracts, you're saying, yeah, and you might be right that as the leader, yes, you, you know, deserve it's in your contract, whatever the case. But love says, even though, in spite, despite, I'll still let you go first. I'll still let you have first. And if there's anything left over, then we'll worry about me. Um, but to see that, um, you know, I'm just completely blown away. And, and, and these are individuals that I deeply and greatly respect, enjoy working with them, because you can see that same love is reflected in the way those organizations are run. Um, one is a credit union, much, much different from the traditional financial institution or a bank. And to see how much they put membership first and how much it's about community and really about building this culture of of service in 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 and just taking care of people, right? And they don't always have the best of technologies, but you know that when you're visiting one of their branch locations or talking to one of their agents, they you feel the same way you feel the CEO talk to you, right? That that level of love and sacrifice has permeated all through. Going back to what you say, you take care of the people and they work for, for their leaders, that's what you see. They work for the leaders and they work for the mission. You know, I had a, a supervisor. He was an older gentleman. He could have retired. He didn't have any family. He was alone. And he could have retired many years before. And the uh, people came and told him, he said, we're going to give you a big raise. He said, I don't need a raise. He said, I got so much money in the bank now, they're telling me I got to do something with it. He said, I, 
I live by myself. He said, well, but you, you, we're, we've already allocated the funds. He said, no. He said, I want you to split it up among my crew. And the person said, we can't do that. And the guy that was the director said, just do what he said. And that's what he did. He took his raise, which to him was fairly significant, but even split up gave some of the lower paid employees a significant increase. Yeah. And uh, it was just, he, it was, he was that way. He, he would, he would, uh, he, he would walk through uh, ankle deep mud and brand new shoes to shake hands with somebody, you know, and people liked him. They, they were willing to work with him and work for him. And, uh, uh <laughs> management wasn't so keen on him, <laughs> but he was, he was very, very gifted leader. Uh, I've seen others that were willing to, uh, uh, put themselves out there and actually, um, one of the directors that uh, that I worked with, when we were supposed to have, I, I can't remember if it was two years. If this was the second year. We had to have a 10% across-the-board cut, even if that included people. So uh, some, of the, some of the organizations there, actually, that's what they did. They just cut... 10% of people, you know, their 10%, they laid off so many people or let go so many people to make up their 10%. But he actually had all of the managers and supervisors working for about three months, and they came up with a plan where no one in his organization uh, got laid off, but we met the 10% goal. Now, that meant everybody had to put in some extra labor, and I guarantee you, they wouldn't have done it except for his perseverance. So, uh, not only is leadership, and and and, and I'm going to say this: you won't sacrifice for something that you don't believe in. Mm. You won't sacrifice for people you don't believe in, and you won't sacrifice. You won't do any of that if you don't care about them. And so. Uh, I guess that's been one of my, uh, you know, they say management is about business and uh, leadership's about people. So I fall kind of in between. I can see what management's trying to do. And I, I if I work for you, I your mission, that's what I'm going to do. That, that's, I, I'm going to, work to see that accomplished because that's that's what I agreed that you you that's what you do but on the other side I have a heart for people so we're going to get it done we're going we're going we're going to get it done without beating people up mm -hmm. so uh, I've always been more on on the people side than because uh, it's just uh, it's really amazing People are willing to follow a leader, uh, but they're not so willing to follow a manager. So 
a lot of times you have to learn how to work. <laughs> if you're if you're the manager, you need to find a good leader, and good leaders sometimes do not need good managers. That's absolutely right. You got to work together, and you got to, uh, and I've done that too over the years. Yeah. Uh, but you got to, uh, but you got to be willing to. The whole thing about it is, is heart. If you don't have your heart in it, you're not going to do it. And some of the good leaders that come to mind, they were heart and soul involved in what they're doing. And even if they were working for someone else, their heart was in it. And uh, I've seen some people that didn't care about the company, they didn't care about the people, they were just gunning for more money, and they figured that a position in leadership gave them more money, which is usually true. And so I've seen some of them that got the position but couldn't do the job. And uh, I've seen some of them that uh, got the position and then just made everybody's life miserable. <laughs> so... Uh, got to but I I've I've had over over my career at work I had the rare opportunity to work for uh, 20 years with people of just incredible leadership ability and people that I loved and and, and cared for and uh, uh, still to this day so I had I, I I was blessed. I can't say that. Yeah. You know, when we when we talk about sacrifice, one of the most profound stories of sacrifice that comes to mind for me is the test of Abram, Abraham. Um and um the the request for him to sacrifice. And and this is a peculiar story <coughs> to me because Abraham finds himself in a situation after many years being childless with his wife Sarah, being called out by God to leave behind everything that had been to that point in time familiar to him. He leaves his father's house, he leaves his uh, homeland, and he goes out into a place that wasn't even specified to him. Uh, God says, to a place that I will show you which means when you get there, <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> Until then, just keep going till you hear otherwise. And he obeys. And one of the interesting things that he's promised, even at old age, beyond the sensibilities of science, medicine, even at that time, was that he would have a child. And for 25 years, he's waiting on the promise. He even attempts to further things on you know how we sometimes get you know god you're not moving quickly enough let me let me help you out and um god says yeah that's 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 not it um and so finally he gets this child something <coughs> for which he has longed something for which he has you know if you could say earned in a, in a way i know he hadn't earned it because of grace but for someone who obeyed God that diligently and God was the one who made the promise, right? It wasn't like he asked God, here's what I want. It's God who says, here's what I'm giving you. And he's like, all right, I'll take you at your word. 
and he finally gets it, and God calls out to him, Abraham. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing at this point in time, he's kind of used to it. He's like, oh boy, <laughs> this is going to be something. This is going <laughs> to be bad. The last time he called me, <laughs> he, it wasn't just, how are you doing? It yeah. was, you know, something big. And so God calls him, and Abraham replies, here I am. And God says to him, hey, you know what you should do? You know that, that son of yours, you know, your only son, the one you love? Isaac. Yeah, that one. Um, take him up to Mount Moriah and um, go offer him as a burnt uh, offering. And, um, and, and it, it struck me because I'm not sure how I would have responded to that. But, but, but in, in, in going back to the story and even just looking at, at what God says to him, you can see how deliberate, intentional, and comprehensive God's thinking is here for him. I mean, first off, God calls him. Because I know there have been a number of times I've been impressed in my heart to do something for God. And I felt like my heart was being tugged, you know, to help someone, to inconvenience myself. Yes, yes. And I try to rationalize my way out of it. You know, maybe that wasn't God. You know, maybe it was just a, an emotional outburst. But, but God makes sure that there is no such excuses here. He calls him out, Abraham, and he goes, here I am. So he knows who's calling him, right? There's no doubt in his mind at this point in time that this is God. And then... God tells him, go offer your son. Now, if I'm Abraham, this is where I'll start getting a little tricky with God. Oh, okay, I got two sons. There's Ishmael <laughs> and there's this one. So if I offer Ishmael, I've offered my son. But, but, but God takes him to the progression of take your son. And he's probably, okay, where is this going? Your only son, like the legitimate one that was promised. And just in case there's any doubt about it, I'm talking about Isaac. Isaac. That one. Yes. <coughs> Take him and go offer him as a sacrifice. And it, it really pushed on my heart because especially as someone who has, I'm coming up on 13 years um, in, in probably the next three weeks in which I've been with my current firm. And I know how hard I've worked and there is partnership on the horizon. And to think that I could be asked to sacrifice, would I be willing to walk away from it? Yeah. Knowing how hard I've worked, knowing how much I've put up with, at so many different times I could have joined another firm, there wasn't a shortage of offers, of more yeah. money, of yeah. even sometimes promotions. And I didn't, and I, and I stayed. And to, to feel like there's there is a part of me that says this is the payoff. This is part of the reasons why I made those sacrifices, why I put up with, you know, those tough situations and in, in, in took less money than the market was maybe perhaps offering. But to get to that point, would I be able to do that? But here is Abraham being asked to give up something far more precious, far more valuable, far more important than my job or career. He's being asked to give up his son the very thing that he was promised, the very thing that he had looked for all his life, the very thing that he had finally gotten to and was this legacy, right? This was his impact. This was his, this is what's going to live on beyond me. And God says, yeah, sacrifice that to me. You know, Abraham 
had been asked to do a lot of things. So faith is kind of doing what God, well, not kind of, it's doing what God wants us to. We know that's what it's to do. So God spoke to Abraham and told him to leave his country, like you mentioned, leave here and go into a place that I'll show you. That turned out to be a long ways away from where he started. And so he's doing good, and he messes up with Ishmael. He has a son by the Egyptian servant woman, and I sometimes wonder if God doesn't sit there and turn to, you know, Jesus or the Holy Spirit and say, what is he thinking? <laughs> you know, I just want, you know, just, and so it seems to me like, and what I've often wondered about was, I mean, what does it take to prove this guy loves you, you know? I mean, he's already left his, Father's house, he's already, uh, by the way, he's doing very good. And he was uh, uh, very well established. He was, and so he leaves his father's house. That's got to be an emotional thing. And then he's got to tell his wife, you know, she's saying, okay, look, you know, where are we going? And he's got to tell his wife, you know, well, God told me he'd tell us when to stop. And she's going to say, yeah, come sure. here, man. <laughs> <laughs> What did you say? What you said was, you don't know where we're going. And uh, so he winds up, I mean, from my standpoint, he's shown faith in God in most of the things he's done. I mean, he yeah. said this. I've, and so when he was told to go to uh, the top of Mount Moriah he, uh, and, and offer his son Isaac, he says, uh, he says, uh, uh, okay, I mean, okay, let's do that. But um, the thing about it is is that Mount Moriah wasn't close to there. No, not at all. See, it's a, like a three-day journey or so to get there. And, and so, you know, me, when I decide to do something and I, and I go ahead and decide to do it, and then... But to have all of that time to think about it, wonder about it, you know, I wonder, I mean, man, that had to be tough. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, for me, I, I even wonder because I asked the question because Sarah is not mentioned in this story. No. And, and I get the impression that he doesn't tell her <coughs> because I don't see how a mother would let him go on with that plan. It's like, yeah, Jesus, God, God told you what? Yeah, you know. Let him come tell me that himself and not through a voice. Let him come tell me to give up my son. And, and I think that that is something important because it's tough enough dealing with myself often when I'm being asked to sacrifice, when I'm asked to pay a, a heavy price beforehand for something important. It, it, it dawns on me that you want to be very careful about who you tell because oftentimes people, well-intended as they may be, will try to talk you out. Stop it. you will try to give you reasons why maybe you don't have to go all the way. You know, maybe it's not really that. And, and, I, and I know they mean well, right? Because they love us and they don't want That's to right. see us suffer. 
and they don't want to see us hurt and they don't want to see the toll that will be exacted upon us for sacrifice and and they might want to help us in in in, in being in management and in leadership in organizations there are times in in having conversations with people where they they see how much i'm taking on and they want to tell me you've done enough yeah I mean, dude, no one's going to fault you. I mean, they've come literally with that line of, you know, no one's going to fault you if you quit or stop doing that now. I mean, you've done more than most people. You've done more than anybody. But I think what they miss out on is my obedience is not in doing more than what anybody else That's has right. done. My obedience does not lie in doing or going further than anyone else has gone. It's going all the way that I've been asked to go. Yes. It's in giving up all the things that I've been asked to sacrifice. And, and, and it's not a sacrifice if it's not complete. It's not a sacrifice if I stop one short. You know, if God asks me to give someone $100, I can't stop at 90. Right. I can't stop at 95. I can't stop at 99. Even sometimes, I've got to be honest, I'm even scared of giving more than the 100. If he says, you go right I want to do the 100, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right, and, and 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 I think that's that's what people need to realize is that real sacrifice is not measured by what precedents have been set or what other people have done. And that's real sacrifice is measured by what you have been asked or what you know in your heart is what needs to be done. Only you can do it. Yes, and people do not understand that. Mm -hmm. Only you can give it, and uh, the real definition of sacrifice is very simply something you can't recover all right and so uh like even a drink offering it's poured out on the ground yeah. uh a wave offering is you can't i mean you can't you can't, you can't take it back it does take not it return. back yeah. so but i think the conversation at the camp was would have been interesting when first night comes sarah says where's abraham uh, he went to make a sacrifice. Where's Isaac? He went with him. Mm. What did they take with him? Well, they didn't take anything with him, just some wood, fire. <laughs> he said, and I can say, I, I, you know, I, I, she probably was uh, not too far behind. I, I don't know that, but I'm just saying. Saddle up a donkey. Saddle up a donkey. <laughs> she's on the way. But because she figured it out. And the thing, the thing that happens when people try to interfere, if you're not careful, you have to not let them allow you to get confused about what God has told you to do. Even though, even if they love you, and if some people need to understand, if they love you, they need to let you do what you need to do. Um, and if, if sacrifice is involved, they can't help you do that. It's, it's that personal between you and God and that's the thing that uh, see it goes all the way to Jesus all the way from there to Jesus Christ Jesus understood that he was the only one that could do this his disciples kept telling him I'll protect you I won't let them take it oh they didn't understand they could not get into their head what he was saying but he was the only one that could give what needed to be done and uh, I remember a man, I was at the, uh, he was at the Dream Center, and he's, he's, he was talking about 
uh, actually it was pastor school, I think, in Phoenix. And so he said that uh, he was there, and so uh, Brother Tommy Barnett said, I want everybody to pray and ask what you should give to in this offering for the Dream Center. And he said he prayed. He said, Lord, he was serious about it. He said, Lord, what should I give in this offering to the Dream Center? And he said, the Lord spoke to him just as clear. He said, $400. And he said, Lord, $400, that's all I've got. The Lord said, that's all I'm asking for. So all he had was $400 and a plane ticket home. <laughs> so he, he went back home. It all turned out great. And, and, and that's the other side of sacrifice. When you do it, it creates a relationship between you and God that is much stronger and worth more than anything that could have been taken away from you. So we're sometimes here because of Jesus Christ. We're, we're, caused to sacri- we're, we're asked to sacrifice on behalf of others. And when we obey God, it becomes a blessing to others and a blessing to us. So sometimes when a sacrifice looks huge, it can also become a bigger blessing. You know, th- th- it's 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 while you were saying that, I mean, what 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 dawned on my mind was how much God's playing for keeps. He's playing the long game. He's playing the big grand game, and I think sometimes we're only seeing the small stuff. In in we're seeing, yeah, I read my Bible today. Yeah, I, I I prayed. Yes, I went to church. Yes, I smiled and I was nice to someone, and and we're not seeing the the big you know, going back to what I said earlier about superficiality, it w- it w- we're still just at the surface level, and he wants us to go deeper. He wants us to go much fuller and much holistically into into what he has for us. And you're absolutely right. Is that oftentimes the bigger the sacrifice, yes, the bigger the cost it will ask uh, and, and 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 be demanded of us, but also the bigger the impact on others, as well as also the bigger the blessing right. that we may be uh, able to receive. And so if if one of the obstacles for sacrifice is sometimes people, in other words, well-intentioned people who want to give us a break or help us out, I think two other things that also stand, at least also in my experience, and I think is also highlighted in this story in Genesis 22, is time and distance. As you said, the, the, the journey to Moriah wasn't, you know, just go downtown. It wasn't just cross the street. It was a three-day journey. Yeah. And with the three-day journey, it means that there were ample opportunities, multiple opportunities for him to think his way out, for him to rationalize his way out, for him to devise an alternative plan, for him, uh-oh, to pull a Jonah and go in the different direction. But he chooses not to. The Bible tells us he gets up early in the morning. And, and from my estimation, I feel it's probably because he couldn't sleep all night. Yeah. You know, this wasn't, oh, yeah, I'll sacrifice my son, and he had the best night's sleep, and he woke up early and went about. No, I, I think he tossed and turned. And I do believe that Sarah probably did, did see this. And so he's tossing and turning, but, but he gets up in the morning, and in spite of the tossing and the turning, he decides to follow through on it. And I can feel his pain in these moments. I can feel what he's probably going through. Because the Bible sets up, tells us in the morning, he, 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 he begins to set up for the journey, Right. He, he, he saddles the donkey, and he takes two of his servants, 
and he chops the wood. And, and, and this is something that's also important that people miss out. Sacrifice is personal. Yes. You have to do it yourself. Nobody else can do it for you. If not, it's not a sacrifice. Abraham is a man of means. Abraham is a man with plenty of servants. He could have had a servant saddle up the donkey. He could have had any number of servants chop up the wood. But no, this was a sacrifice that he was asked to give that he only can do this. And so he saddles the donkey. He chops the wood. And I can feel with every tightening of the rope of, of the saddle on the donkey, every laying of provision for the, for the journey, every swing of the axe, you can see his heart beat much like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yes, yes. That the Very Bible tells similar. us his, his sweats were like drops of blood. With, with every word, with every hour, minute that got him closer to the cross, it became more real. It became more painful. The closer he went to Jerusalem, you could see his countenance really when you when you study a little closely the words of Jesus, I'm not saying he was less happy, but you can see the weight of the sacrifice yes. is begin to manifest in ways that is unlike some of the ways he had been expressive before. And you can see this with Abraham and it's heavier and heavier. You know, it's one thing to be at base camp saying that you're going to go sacrifice. But it's something else as you begin to see the ranges of Mount Moriah ascend from the horizon. And you begin to see, oh, this is real. There's no turning back at this point in time. And um, he, he, he gets there. And he tells the servants, stay behind, and me and the boy will travel a little bit further. And um, he puts the wood on Isaac's shoulders, and he carries the fire and the knife. Man, this is powerful to me because one of the other questions I asked and had in my mind was, where was Isaac in all of this? Yeah. I mean, he's not just a passenger in this story. He notices, and he looks around and says to him, Papa, I see the wood as I'm carrying on my back. I see the knife. I see the fire. Aren't we missing something here? I mean, we were very clear. We weren't going out for a picnic. We weren't going out hunting. We were going for a sacrifice a burnt offering sacrifice. Burnt? Something's going to get burnt. Where is the sacrifice? Where is the lamb? And the father says to him, God will provide. God will provide a sacrifice. And it says, they both walk together. I think Isaac was in on it. At that point in time, I think he kind of knew that it's me. That's right. And Jesus knew it was him. That's right. Isaac figured it out, and I don't think it was on the last day. But I, in this story, is uh, you know Isaac was 
he wasn't a little child. He was he was probably 12, 14 years old. Mm-hmm. So he was big enough to carry the wood. You have to understand. He yeah. he was a smart man. Uh, he knew he knew. Uh, he knew to ask the questions. He, he he had the intellect to figure it out. And and not only that, he I believe had a relationship with God too. Sarah Sarah had heard God. Uh, so when, when, uh, and and he could have done a lot of things. Let's just face it; he could have ran off. Uh, he was big enough to have given Abraham a fight. Yeah. A fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I find it very uh, interesting that this faith went further than just trust in God. The son trusted his father. Mm. And that shows that he also trusted God. Yeah. It's, it's a very, uh, I, it's, it just touches my heart to see. Abraham said, the Lord will provide a sacrifice. Now, I'm just thinking here, did he just say that to quiet uh, Isaac's fears? Did he say that to, or did he really believe that God was going to provide a sacrifice? Mm-hmm. I believe that every step up that mountain, he looked for something yeah, that was going sign. to be a sacrifice. And I believe Isaac was looking too. But when they got to the top and prepared the sacrifice, Isaac didn't fight Abraham. And that tells you something in, in this story that is important for us to understand. Um, I know it seems like a long time ago. And today, uh, in today's world, we don't see relationships like that. Very, very rarely do we see relationships like that. Father and son, us and God, to have that confidence that God is going to provide it. Uh, not only was this a not only was this a sacrifice, this was a very important sacrifice. And uh, so uh, it was so important that he was told to go all the way to Mount Moriah, not make the sacrifice there. Uh, I think he was living in uh, in the land of the Philistines at that time, and uh, I can't remember the guy that they, he had some kind of a little agreement with, but uh, but they uh, it's it is a very uh, touching story of faith, as is the story of Jesus Christ's sacrifice when you see that he knew he was the sacrifice yet he was willing to be that sacrifice the only thing different is in jesus case he had to be the sacrifice in isaac's case god provided a substitutionary ram just like jesus has provided that substitution for us so it's a I'm going to bet there was a quiet uh, a party <laughs> on the way home. <laughs> um, 
Isaac doesn't fight back. His, his arms and feet abound. And, you know, making a sacrifice is not as easy as just you got to find the strength. you got to set up the altar. Isaac was a participant in all of it. That's right. The father is, is a participant in all of it. And um, the altar is set. And um, I can see Abraham hesitating maybe just a little bit. And Isaac looks lovingly and knowingly at his father and puts his arms out and yep. says, you know what needs to be done. And the father takes that cord and ties him up. And gets his son on there. And pulls that knife out from its sheath. And like you said, every step of the way, looking for something to change. Some, some, something... I, I felt the same way when, when, when I've been asked to sacrifice. I'm looking for someone to call me up and say, "Oh, don't worry about that." Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Somebody took care of it for me. I'm like, oh. and and you're hoping and you're praying. I mean, you still want to be obedient, but you're also, if this cup could pass away, if I don't have to do this, if I don't have to endure this, if someone could only see how much I am suffering dying on the inside because of this sacrifice that I've been asked to make. Maybe I should have listened to that person who gave me an out. Maybe I should have taken them at that chance to not go down this road. But you're here. And one of the things that I have found in my walk with Christ, I can't stop now. I have come way too far and done this for far too long. But in doing this, as long and as well as I have, I have seen him be so faithful. Oh, yes. In so many things. That why should I stop believing him now? And I think for Abraham, it's the same thing. He thinks back to the very beginning. When he thought he had it made in life. When he was still Abram. And God calls him out. And takes him out. He thinks about all the nights and days the deserts, the countries that he had traveled. But then he's reminded every step of the way of God's promise, of God's faithfulness. I remember when this God told me I would have a son and I thought that was stupid. Yeah. yeah. I even remembered when Sarah laughed in the tent. But he showed up. And I think with that, he got courage for one more step up that mountain. One more step. Man, I remember when there was battles and God helped me fight and helped me win. And he was reminded of his, his nephew, Lot, and how because God loved me so much, I didn't even know what those angels were going to go do, but he chose not to hide from me the thing he was going to do. And he told me, and, and when, even when he didn't have to, for the sake of Lot, I begged him. And he came through. And he remembered all these faithfulness. And I think something was stirred up within him that gave him that courage that catalyzed him to keep on going. And in that last moment, he pulls out that knife and is about to strike. And the most glorious thing 
is a voice that comes from heaven that says, Abraham, Abraham, don't, man, that was the quickest knife drop ever. I was like, oh. <laughs> but you're right. It is a t- typology of Jesus. And you're right. The only difference is when Jesus was on that cross, when Jesus was there to be that sacrifice, there was no voice that stopped God. Yes. There was no voice that stopped him from giving his only begotten. There was no substitutionary lamb because Jesus was it. I was the Isaac. He was the lamb that was slain. That's the that's the thing that um, but and and it was faith that caused Abraham to do what he did. And I think that as we go through life, we're going to have to have faith. Um, Like I said, so many things Abraham had been through, but there was always something else. And I think that that's something that we kind of need to be aware of. There's always going to be another step. And uh, it was... uh, You know, in Abraham's lifetime, he got to see some incredible things. Yeah. And to be a part of something like this would be, uh, you know, the story's still told today. I mean, thousands of years later, the story is still told today. Let's face it. It was incredible. And and that's what happens when when God is involved in a situation where he wanted to demonstrate that his heart was to see mankind delivered. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Isaac was a good guy. I mean, let's face it, he turned out well. And he did good things. And I, I can imagine that how many times he thought of the days that he spent with his father yeah. on the way to Moriah. And being on top of the mountain, you know, I believe that was a very, very personal time. A very, uh, I, I don't believe he told that story very often. And, uh, but I believe that it affected his life. Just like it is still, it affects my life to listen to it, to 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 see what, to see what happened. And if I were to consider, you know. Uh, could could I take my son and sacrifice him? You know that just doesn't fall within that range of of reality that I would be able to deal with. Yeah. Things are so things are so radically different now that even the idea of sacrifice is foreign to most people today. Why should I give up something? Yeah, and. I think that the Christians today, I think some of them unconsciously make sacrifices, not realizing that's what they're doing. It's just their heart. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I can remember God's asked me different times to do things that uh, I, I don't know was a sacrifice, but it was... Uh, 
let's say, inconvenient. And it takes time and it takes dealing with people. A lot of times people don't want to deal with. And um, so I always remember a conversation many years ago before I was a Christian. I'd been asked uh, to come here to Austin to be a part of a, a construction company. And uh, you have to understand, I had a whole different attitude at that time. I wasn't as likable, I guess, then. And my attitude was not so. But we, we were sitting at a, uh, in a little meeting, and the, the man's wife was there. And so uh, I just basically told him, you know, that... Uh, I really didn't want to be a part of this. And if I was going to be a part of it, these were the conditions I had, you know. And so I could tell they were thinking things over. It wasn't really about money. It was just about kind of working conditions. And uh, actually had a good job where I was. And so, uh, but anyway, the, the man's wife said to him, and not in a real loud voice or anything. She said, I like this guy. There's, he, he's a good person, you know. And I heard her say that. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm looking, I'm thinking, who is she talking about, you know? So anyway, this man went ahead and hired me. And uh, turned out we had a wonderful working relationship. We became great friends and things like that. But... Because this lady said, I like this guy. He was willing to take a chance. And sometimes we need to realize that we need to take that extra step and take a chance on people. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you and uh, give somebody another chance. They might make it this time. What? remains a mystery to me and sometimes if you're not careful becomes an obstacle to sacrificing is not knowing how it'll kill how people will receive <coughs> the sacrifice and for me one of the things that I still struggle with has been that fight on the inside not if the sacrifice was worth it because I felt and was convinced in my heart that the sacrifice was worth it but would would they appreciate the sacrifice right. and there are many times I've wanted to stop especially knowing that in prior sacrifices there were people who didn't even recognize that I had sacrificed yes, or yes. how much I had sacrificed and the most painful bit is when you know how much you've sacrificed for someone and they either don't recognize it or don't even express gratitude for yes, it. Yes. Or even worse, they seem to demand more. Yeah. Oh, that was it. And, and it almost wants to make you say, ah. and then as you're going through those things, you're asking yourself, would they? 
And I bet Jesus has felt the same way. But here's the difference. He actually knew. Because when he tells us that God so loved the world, it says that whosoever, <coughs> whosoever, meaning that he recognizes that there will be people who will not accept the sacrifice. There will be people who will flatly reject the sacrifice. I mean, it's one thing to be ignorant of the sacrifice, but it's another to know of it and to say, yeah, no, not for me. Yeah. But he did it all the same. And I love the reminders that he gives me of that very moment, of saying, I knew that there would be people who would reject my sacrifice, and I did it all the same. And then I'm reminded, he's not asking me to sacrifice in the same way he sacrificed. I mean, no matter what he asks me to sacrifice, no matter how big, no matter how much it requires of me, it will never in any way compare. It will always pale against the sacrifice of Jesus' life on Calvary. And if he did that, knowing that there would be people who would not, then all the more I should be encouraged to carry on with my sacrifice. And so I think the other thing is in sacrificing, your focus, your eyes should be only on the person who has asked you to sacrifice. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. It's by faith you make sacrifice. And faith demonstrates itself in obedience. I'm going to do this thing even though I don't know how it's going to play out. I'm going to do this thing even though I don't know what kind of impact it's going to have. But because you have asked me to do it, that's why I do it. I don't do it because I think <coughs> I might get a blessing on the other side of it. Very well may happen. I don't do this because I think people are going to remember me. In this moment, Abraham's not thinking about, ooh, I bet you there's a reward at the end of this thing for me. He's just saying, you have asked me, God. You have called me by name. And because you have asked me, not anybody else, I will obey. And I will do it. And I think we need to be that single-minded about our sacrifice that the only voice to which we pay it any attention is the voice of the one who has asked us to sacrifice. And the only thing that we do is to fully commit and obey the thing that he's asked us to do. I, I think that with sacrifice, we need to have the mindset, number one, we give it, it's irrecoverable. It's gone, no matter what it is. And how people react should not be a part of why we do what we do, yep. uh, and a lot of a lot of a lot of times, uh, uh, sacrifice is. You know, I, I look at this sacrifice. This sacrifice with Abraham and Isaac. This this wasn't just a, you know, I'm going to do this, and it wasn't like a. There were several days involved. You know, there. If it's a two-day trip there, three-day trip there, it's a three-day trip back. You know, I mean, there's, yeah. and, and and a lot of times, <clears throat> that uh, when God asks us to do something, uh, if it's going to be sacrificed, it's literally going to be uh, something that we're going to give up. Period. And uh, I always remember. 
years ago, I'd heard people say, God told me to give somebody money. And I told God, I said, God, you don't ever tell me to do that. And well, at that time, I had, you know, I had my own construction business. I had money. And so about a year later, when the bottom had fell out of everything, and uh, if I had 50 cents in my pocket, I felt like at least I could buy a soda. And uh, I happened to have a $20 bill in my pocket. And I was so happy that I had a $20 bill in my pocket. I don't know about you, but I could actually feel it in my pocket. You know, as thin as it was, and there was a lady that came to the church, and uh, so as I, she didn't have a, a car or a way to get home, so I told her I would take her home. And as we turned out of the parking lot of the church, the Lord spoke to me and said, give her your $20 bill. <laughs> and I'm, my thinking was, Lord, can't we stop down here at 7-Eleven and get two tens, you know? But that doesn't sound like much, but I'd reached in my pocket and I handed it to her and I told her, I want you to have this. And so, uh, <clears throat> so the blessing in that was absolutely this, was that God finally asked me to give a sacrifice. And I, it wasn't really a sacrifice. He just asked me to do something, you know, and I thought it was so cool first that I could hear God and that. I could obey God. That just made me feel good. So I felt like I felt like I'd done something good for a long time. But I'll never forget that because my first thought really was, you know, let's break this in half. What I think there's so many times we miss out on the way God works and what's really happening. When people talk about faith, it seems there's a disproportionate amount of focus on how much faith we have or should have in God. And it's almost as if we completely skip out and miss out on how much faith God has in us and chooses to place in us. God sets out to test him. I don't think God's setting him up for failure. God's setting him up for a blessing. God setting him up to do something great because we hear at the end of this because you obey in blessing will I bless you your descendants shall be like the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies and through you all your descendants and all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me God wasn't setting him up to fail, to stumble and say, eh. He was setting him up for a blessing. And we talked about this a little bit, but the blessing was not just for him. It was for his children and for his children's children and for so many who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. We are here today recipients of the blessings of Abraham. As a child, I was taught that song, Abraham's blessings are mine. Yes, Father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them. And the reason that I am one of them is because of this man's obedience. The same thing we see, I think, in the story of Job. God sets the stuff up. It wasn't Abraham bragging oh. how much he loved God and was trying to prove how faithful he was. This was God looking on his children and with pride and with love and saying, 
I trust you. You know, this is exactly, I think, what the New Testament says, that he wouldn't let anything on you more than you can bear. God knew that Abraham was up to the test. Abraham could pass this test. He wouldn't give him a test that he was going to fail because then it wasn't going to be a test. It was a setup. And God doesn't do setups. Right. Right? The only time he sets you, sets you up is to set you up for a blessing. Yeah. And that's exactly what he was doing here. And, and so I say that to say that we need to realize how much God is rooting for us, how much the heavens are rooting for us. You know, I am convinced that when I get to heaven, as much as I know I want to go find David and Paul and Abraham and Isaac and ask them how they lived out these moments that we read in scripture, I think they'll be the ones waiting for me on the other side of the gate to tell me, how was it that you lived through by faith in an age of grace in the power of the Holy Spirit? I think they're so excited about the stories that I will share. They're rooting for us right now of saying, you can do this. And the whole time we were talking about where was Sarah in this or where was Isaac and what were people saying? I think the other side of the story is, is what's happening in heaven. What's God doing this whole time? Right, exactly. Is God saying, wait, 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 he's going to do it. No, 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 he's going to do it. You know, and, and again, to borrow from the story of Job, Satan probably shows up with the sons. You know, again, this is me adding to the scripture here, but hey, he did it once. So I'm guessing it was something he did. The sons of God show to present themselves to God and the devil shows up. He's like, wait, what's going on? And God's like, wait, wait, you got to look at this. Remember Abraham? Remember that man that I called out from everything? That one that I promised a child who waited 25 years for it? The one that finally got it? Guess what I told him to do? I told him to offer him as a sacrifice. And you know what? (coughs) He didn't waver. Yeah, he had questions. Yeah, he was a bit concerned. Yeah, he asked me to clarify. But look at him. He's doing it. All the step of the way. No, no, he's doing it. He's going up the mountain right now with the boy with the wood. He's in on it too. It's not just Abraham. Isaac's in on it too. And no, he's he's take he's taking out the knife. No, he's gonna do it. He's gonna do it. No, no, look, somebody stop him. <laughs> See, <laughs> you know, at this point in time, goes like, whoa, 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 somebody stop that man because he might actually go through with this stuff. And and I think we miss out on how much faith that God has on us. That sometimes when we're being asked to sacrifice, sometimes when we're when, when it seems that we are being challenged or we're having to go through a lot because of our faith, instead of complaining and whining about how bad or how bad a hand or lot in life we have it, maybe the right perspective to take is God has faith in me right now. That's exactly right. He has so much that faith is, in me right God now. God has confidence in you. That's right. Absolutely. And I don't know about you, but as a, as a child, one of the things I always looked forward to was making my dad proud. And to Absolutely. see that smile and that look on his face when he goes, that's my boy. That's my son. And I think that there's so many times God is looking to us to say those very same words because he has that much faith. And if at any point in time we are weak, if at any point in time we are inadequate, In my weakness, his strength is made more perfect. His grace covers up whatever inadequacies I have. And, man, I am blessed just knowing and being reminded in this very moment that God has faith in me, God is rooting for me, and God will make a way. 
because his name, as Abraham calls it, the Lord will provide. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, the provision only comes on the mountain of the Lord. When I choose to travel that path that he has called me to go, when I choose to carry on that burden that he has asked me to take on, when I choose to obey, and when I do that, there will always be provision because he will always provide for where his will leads me. You know, um, I was just thinking about how God has provided for me earlier today. And it's really amazing when I sit down. It's come up for the last couple of weeks how God has provided for me. And I'm just thankful the way God has just made a way for me. And uh, I think sometimes that, you know, Abraham didn't have an easy life. He had a great life. He didn't have an easy life. And <clears throat> I'm, I, it, that, that experience had to be something that he thought about many, many, many times after. Uh, and uh, that promise that he had that his descendants would become as the sand of the sea or the stars of the sky, it's, it's amazing that uh, what God can do with us having just a little faith. Uh, you remember the story of the little boy with the fishes and the loaves? Yep. You know, and, and we, we look at this and we tell the story of Jesus and stuff, but let's just think about that little boy for just a minute, all right? He's the only person. His mother didn't let him leave home without something to eat. So she goes and she takes, gives him a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread. And out of all the people there, over 5,000 people, this little boy, they come and take his fish and his bread. <laughs> but what they do with it, I have to believe that child never quit telling the story of what happened when they took his fish and his bread yeah. and fed all of those people. I think that that's the whole point, mm. the reason God does some of the things that he does. You see, because Abraham and Isaac weren't alone. There were servants with them. Yeah. You think that story didn't get told, man? And uh, I, I'm sure Isaac had something to say, too. I mean, you know, you know what happened to me? <laughs> You're not going to believe this, <laughs> you know. And then, but you know, when you were talking a while ago about being up on top of that mountain, I think that uh, the top of that mountain, and I see it in my mind right now, was covered in angels. Mm -hmm. I think that that mountainside was covered with angels. I think that there was an angel close enough to grab Abraham's hand. All he had to wait was for God to say so. And as soon as God said, hey, wait. And then, of course, God did provide the sacrifice. And for us, he has provided a sacrifice that 
you know, and, and, and really, uh, so many times the sacrifices that God asks from us when compared to the life of Jesus Christ, they're really not much. But to us, they can seem huge. I'm reminded of a, a young girl who had a gold ring. She was a young, I'm going to say 12 years old or so. She had a gold ring. She heard a missionary story, and she wanted to help. And so she took her gold ring and sold it. And she, she got a pretty good little bit of money for it. But to her, that gold ring was the only thing of valuable thing that she had. And she sold it, and she gave the money to a missionary. When the missionary found out what she had done, you know, when, when a child does something, that's so profound that adults realize they should have done it. <laughs> it it affects people. It really affected the missionary. But the the thing that we need to realize is is we can't take people's sacrifice away from them. Oh, yeah. We have got to let them make the sacrifice. And sometimes we need to realize we can't take the sacrifice of someone else. We've got to let them make it. Even if we have greater ability, even if we have greater uh, capacity, even if we have greater, uh, it's not about capacity. It's not about ability. It's about sacrifice. And we've got to let them do it. And uh, I've seen people that uh, I literally wanted to make it easier on them. And the Lord told me, Don't interfere. This is, you know, this is my this is my doing here. And over time, uh, like one family, it was about a year. And then God blessed them immensely. It was just, but God knows what He's doing, especially when He requires sacrifice from us. He knows what He's. The last thing that I would say on this is this has been, by the way, very revealing. Um, I get very impressed by how sometimes God is able to strip us bare in these conversations that we have. But also a reminder that the sacrifice is not is not a measure of how much of my possession, of my time, of my effort, I have to give up. It always is. Yes. It's about the heart. It is about the heart. It's not about the giving capacity. It's about the heart's capacity that's to it. love here. Um, and that story of that girl, much like the story of the widow's mite, it's not a question of how big. In my eye, that gold ring was not that much to give. No. Mm -mm. To 
to everyone else, that widow's might was nothing. But it was everything. And I think as an observer sometimes of other people's sacrifice, you want to be very careful that you don't start comparing sacrifices Absolutely. of how much you gave compared to somebody else, of how much time. Yeah, maybe it's because you have that much more time. But that person works two jobs and has got three kids. <coughs> and, and so their time has a different value to them. Yeah, you gave $10,000 and they only gave fifteen, but that fifteen might be the only money, like you said, in that, even in your story, that they have in their pocket and they're being asked to give everything. But God's not asking us to give those things as much as he's asking us to give our hearts and to turn that over to him because I think that begins to get us to that place that he's always intended. You know, life, if you go back through the creation story, there are certain relationships that are important. There's the relationship between God and creation, between God and man, between man and man, between man and creation. But I think the most important relationship is the one God's always most passionate about. It's the relationship between he and man, he and mankind. And he's always pursuing for, for us to get back to that place as he intended, that God in that paradise where in the cool of the evening he would come and commune with us and there was no barrier, there was nothing keeping us from that. And I think with each sacrifice that he's asking of us and each sacrifice he's asking us to make, <coughs> he's trying to push us closer to that fulfillment of his intention where we're just there with him, yes, just completely like that. And that, that there is full confidence and there is no holding back on our part. I think that that's key. God wants it all. And uh, I, I want to tell you one little last story. I was a pastor of a church, a rural, a rural church. And I had a, a couple that came to church very faithfully. And when I first met them, I think they had a car but were not able, they weren't able to keep it maintained and so ultimately wound up selling. Very, very poor people. Um, they, and, and I'm talking, for this country, very poor people. But every time there was an offering, they gave in the offering. And I didn't find out for almost two years but if they didn't have money, they spent the week picking up aluminum cans. They would sell the aluminum cans, and they would uh, give that to the church. If they were sick, they would ask me to come by the house and say, Pastor, we're not going to be able to go to church today. Uh, one, of, one of them was sick want you to stop by and pick up our tithes. Now, I'm not going to say, i just say it was not a lot of money. But we were talking about heart. And you're talking about a heart of a man and woman who have, as the world looked, who have nothing. And so, at the end of the year, 
Now, you have to understand, I had people in the church that had the capacity to give a lot of money. But this couple was in just was were were just within a very few dollars of the top givers each year in the church. And you're talking about people that have nothing. Go out and pick up aluminum cans. It wasn't because they were trying to impress anybody. It was just because they wanted to have a part. They wanted to participate. Now, at another time, maybe I'll tell you some of the blessings that God gave them. And, and I'll mention not financially, but some of the things they got to see happen because of their faithfulness and their willingness to give. So remember, don't forget the heart part. Because the heart's what makes it work. <sighs> Starts with the heart. It's gonna win. It's gonna wind up there too. And it's propelled by faith. It's enacted in love, and it's manifested in obedience. And that sacrifice. That's good. I can preach that. As you say, that can preach. That can preach. A pleasure, sir. Thank you so very much. Really enjoyed it this evening. You have always sacrificed, and, and I always appreciate you for that. As a leader and um, as a father figure, I appreciate you so much for how much you sacrifice and give up. Um, even doing this podcast is a bit of a sacrifice because I don't think you had intended for this. I, I blurted out one day, I think you know what, these conversations might be beneficial to someone as a podcast. And um, the next thing I know, you're sending me uh, quotes of, hey, what do you think about this equipment? I was like, hey, I don't think he took me a little too seriously on that one. But I appreciate you for making that sacrifice and um, just continually investing in me. I know even just as recently as this week, just calling out and knowing that uh, you're available as someone I could talk to means the world to me. I, I enjoy doing this. I, I, I have to admit that uh, this evening I was a little more emotional than, <laughs> yeah. than, than I had anticipated. But, but um, I, I am always excited because our conversation just gives me new insights into the things that I've read many years, and I always appreciate that. You, the way you think gives me gives me new insights into. Uh, I, I can preach some old messages in new ways. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure. God bless you. Thank you.